Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and this is my book review of Waking Up by Sam Harris. And I'm here in Sofia, Bulgaria. That is the national palace of culture. And I actually thought it would be kind of an appropriate landmark to put in the background of this video because Bulgaria is largely an atheist country, interestingly. So when I was younger, I was a very religious person. I was a 110% evangelical Christian, but now I am not religious at all. So a while back, I was, one night, I was in a very placid lucid dream. So this wasn't like a lucid dream where, you know, you're having like crazy sex and lightsaber battles and race car adventures and things out of Fast and Furious 9 or whatever they're up to. Nowadays, this was a very placid lucid dream and I was just lounging on some bean bags in I think a dark room talking to a red-haired woman and I had conducted the digital text test for lucid dreaming so I knew I was in a dream and I decided to ask a really difficult question. I asked this, I said, okay, I was once very religious and now I'm not. But when I was, I always regarded non-believers or atheistic people as being people that were just trying to find a way of justifying their non-belief, that their hedonistic lifestyles were just incompatible with being religious, with recognizing a higher power. But that was me when I was younger. Now I carry on a quite hedonistic lifestyle and I'm completely non-religious. So am I just like the people that I used to judge or am I intellectually justified in my non-belief? It's a pretty difficult question, right? And really only a question that someone could answer for themselves. So quite appropriate to pose to a, a, a dream subject, right? And here's the answer she gave me. She said that I was indeed bullshitting myself and that I was a unbeliever of convenience, not conviction. So this book is less anti-religious than you might think from its title. Its author, Sam Harris, is, believe it or not, one of the most hated public intellectuals for his criticisms of religion. However, he's probably the most polite politically incorrect person that I can think of. You, you can go look up his videos on YouTube and he's just the most like sober, docile, soft-spoken critic of religion. Really the, the opposite of the kind of like rude shock jocks and like anti-religious rants that you hear out of 
comedians and the like, yet he inspires just this like vitriolic hate across the internet for some reason. So this book is not like 250 pages just beating up on religion. It's really about meditation practice, which is the solution to spirituality without religion. And I suspect that a lot of religious people, a lot of reasonable religious people could actually read this book, be relatively unoffended by it, and end up being better religious people as a result. On the other side of the spectrum is atheistic people that would not even consider reading this book because it has the word spiritual in the title. So for them, I'd like to give you a more precise definition of the word spiritual. Seeking to understand our minds, the nature of self, and our relation to the world more deeply by way of reaching for extraordinary states of consciousness. That's a pretty good definition, right? I actually came up with it myself, but it's based upon what he says in the first chapter of the book, which is, Spirituality must be distinguished from religion because people of every faith and of none have had the same sorts of spiritual experiences. I still consider the world's religions to be mere intellectual ruins maintained at enormous economic and social cost. But I now understand the important psychological truths that can be found in the rubble. And the good news is that we can reach for extraordinary states of consciousness while completely avoiding superstition with meditation, taking psychedelics, or even using biohacking tools like nootropics, brain training, or using biofeedback technology. I encourage you to check out my other video on the religious experience that I had while HRV training on the disproven soul. So this book effectively deconstructs the notion of the homunculus, which is this idea that there's like a little guy somewhere in your head, like a little bit behind your eyes, who is like pulling the levers that control the machine that is your body. Religion refers to this as a soul. And the book goes into what's called split brain phenomenon, which is where in medical science, we see that if the two hemispheres of the brain are disconnected, through a surgical operation, it drastically changes the nature of the self and the identity. It becomes difficult to say that the person whose brain has been split is a single subject, for everything about his behavior suggests that a silent intelligence lurks in his right hemisphere, about which the articulate left hemisphere knows nothing about. 
What is most startling about the split-brain phenomenon is that we have every reason to believe that the isolated right hemisphere is independently conscious. The question of whether the right hemisphere is conscious is really a pseudo-mystery used to bar the door to a greater one, the uncanny fact that the human mind can be divided with a knife. This fact poses an insurmountable problem for the notion that each of us has a single indivisible self, much less an immortal soul. So this book suggests that your consciousness is kind of like Jay and Silent Bob, where one half of the duo is this like impulsive, loudmouth, and the other half is the mute voice of reason. Actually, I'm not sure if that's even a good metaphor. It's been so long since I saw that movie. So we can see from medical science that consciousness is not like this intangible, irreducible, unknowable thing. We can see that while there are some mysteries and some unknowns about consciousness, it is very clearly directly attached to the mechanics of our gray matter. This section of the book made me wonder about how many expressions are there in the world's languages for being of two minds. How many expressions are there for having multiple personalities or multiple people like inside of oneself. I bet there's a lot. So we can do away with this notion of like the single indivisible static self as something that's really just childish and superstitious. Consciousness may very well be the lawful product of unconscious information processing on the illusion of consciousness and self. In my reading of neuroscience and philosophy of mind, I had often heard before that consciousness and the, the self are illusions, which I'll admit is an unsettling idea, possibly the most unsettling idea, that I don't exist, that you don't exist, from the book. The conventional sense of self is an illusion and that spirituality consists in realizing this moment to moment. There is no region of the brain that can be the seat of a soul. So one night after a reading, I did the blue sky protocol like normal, but when I reach the final stage of the blue sky protocol, when I imagine my mind as like an empty sphere floating in space, the, 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 the concepts from this section of the book bubbled up to mind and I started to repeat to myself. I did a little experiment. It's a little weird. I started to repeat to myself, I don't exist. I don't exist. I don't exist. I don't exist. And I just repeated that for a couple of minutes and then I returned to focusing on the empty mind and I was really struck by how insubstantial consciousness 
feels really by how empty it is alone. As they say in the book, consciousness on its own does not feel like a self. And this was quite unsettling. This must have been what Friedrich Nietzsche was talking about when he wrote that when you gaze long enough into the abyss, the abyss gazes into you. Interestingly, meditation is a hack for improving empathy. Training in compassion meditation increases empathy as measured by the ability to accurately judge the emotions of others, as well as positive effect in the presence of suffering. The practice of mindfulness has been shown to have similar pro-social effects. Conversely, a longitudinal study of compassion meditation, which produced a significant increase in subjects' empathy over the course of eight weeks, found increased activity in one of the regions believed to contain mere neurons. I tracked down the studies mentioned. From the abstract of compassion, meditation enhances empathic accuracy and related neural activity. This study employed a randomized, controlled, and longitudinal design to investigate the effect of a secularized, analytical, compassion meditation program. 21 healthy participants received functional MRI scans while completing an empathic accuracy task, the reading the mind in the eyes test. The findings suggest that the Compassion training may hold promise as a behavioral intervention for enhancing empathic accuracy and the neurobiology supporting it. However, I'm a little bit disappointed that the study abstract did not mention how much time of doing the compassion training was actually required to increase empathy. From a 2012 study of 82 female school teachers entitled Contemplative Emotion Training Reduces Negative Emotion Behavior and Promotes Pro-Social Responses. Contemplative practices are believed to alleviate psychological problems, cultivate pro-social behavior, and promote self-awareness. Findings suggest that increased awareness of mental processes can influence emotional behavior, and they support the benefit of integrating contemplative theories slash practices with psychological models and methods of emotional regulation. So you salespeople and pickup artist guys who follow me will definitely want to make special note of this. Fine-tuning your empathy will absolutely make you a better salesperson and seducer. And you know this because whenever you hear from really wealthy salespeople that make a lot of money or from pickup artists that are getting laid a lot, that are getting the results that you are in the game for, they talk about the importance of empathy in what they do. So if getting paid more or getting laid more sounds good to you, then you should definitely be, be concerned with hacking 
empathy, which these studies are saying meditation accomplishes. Furthermore, you know, in this day and age, we spend so much of our lives just staring at glowing rectangular screens, right? And all of this interaction with technology really is counterintuitive to our social skills. It really does not help our social skills and empathy and meditation is something that can counteract that on a profound level. Eye contact meditation. Speaking of things that may interest pickup artists, this book describes an intimacy exercise that I enthusiastically recommend you try. What you do is, it's called eye contact meditation, which is what it sounds like. So you sit down directly across from another person and then you just stare each other in the eyes. It's not like a staring contest where you're trying to see who's the first person to look away, but you just want to look at each other in the eyes without smiling or laughing or cutting the tension. And this will train you to face kind of like an intense social stimulus and to deal with it with mindfulness as opposed to humor or any of the other myriad ways that we have to deal with social tension, right? And just do it for 10 minutes. You can use a meditation timer on your phone and just enjoy a, a rare, intimate 10 minutes with, with this other person. The book has some interesting things to say about mind wondering. A human mind is a wondering mind and a wondering mind is an unhappy mind. From the abstract of a notable 2010 study on exactly this. We developed a smartphone technology to sample people's ongoing thoughts, feelings, and actions and found first that people are thinking about what is not happening almost as often as they are thinking about what is. And second, we found that doing so typically makes them unhappy. I totally agree with this. I try to avoid mind wandering as much as possible. As an entrepreneur and perpetual traveler, I just have never known life without constant struggle and challenge. So if I let my mind wander in, it inevitably gravitates to something that's going to worry me. I think unless you have just a boringly comfortable life, mind wandering is just gonna lead to unproductive worry. Meditation helps quite a bit with this, although I think that dual end back brain training actually does a better job of teaching you to compartmentalize and stay on track mentally. I'd love to hear from some other people who have tried both and, uh, and hear what worked best for you to stifle the mind wandering. On freeing yourself of your thoughts, in the book, he defines spiritual enlightenment as someone who 
does not feel like they are identical to their thoughts. Someone who is able to identify their thoughts as being separate from themselves and that this is freedom from the tyranny of our thoughts. Taking oneself to be the thinker of one's thoughts, that is not recognizing the present thought to be a transitory appearance in consciousness is a delusion that produces nearly every species of human conflict and unhappiness. Being distracted by thought is understood to be the very wellspring of human suffering. Having an ego is what it feels like to be thinking without knowing that you're thinking. Our primary duty as the owners of the most powerful computers in the universe, which are our minds, is to be philosophers, is to be rigorous practitioners of metacognition, which is thinking about thinking. We're the only species that we know of that can do this, and it really is a remarkable gift that we often disregard. I've got a pretty good example of this. Recently, I was at a salsa dancing club, and I had spent about 20, 25 minutes interacting with a girl that I found quite attractive and it was going pretty good. She was laughing at my dumb jokes and my crappy Russian. We were salsa dancing, so I'm putting my hands all over her body. I can smell her skin. I can smell her light perspiration. I'm picking up all those feminine hormones, right? And I was also on about 500 milligrams of Phenibute, so I was mildly intoxicated, and then another guy in the club pulled her off of me for a dance, and so my gut reaction, my heuristic reaction was, oh, this motherfucker, that fucking slut. Yet, I almost instantaneously self-audited this angry little thought and extinguished it, put it completely out of mind and continued to have fun. And in retrospect, that's really something that in that state of arousal, my metacognition kicked in so quickly. And that right there is a year of meditation working and three, four years of brain training. In the book, he recommends watching some interviews of the spiritual guru Osho. So I've got one link that I recommend you'll check out. And Osho is undoubtedly a charismatic guy. What I noticed is that he blinks with extraordinary rarity. So perhaps not blinking is like a life hack for starting your own cult, being more seductive, charismatic, or whatever. So I am going to try to avoid blinking until the end of this video blog. And just let me know in the comments if it's, if it's really weird or if you have a irrational desire to just give me all of your money. Okay, shit, I just blinked. It's tough, it's tough, that Osho guy. He's got, he's got skills. So uh, about this book, 
This is one of those books that makes me really skeptical of people who say that they read a book a day. It's, it's quite dense in certain parts. There are certain parts of it that I had to read over three or four times to really get them. I just can't imagine that I could read this book in a day and get much value out of it, get as much value out of it as I did. This is a pretty good meditation 101 type book. So if you're a person who's, you keep hearing about meditation, but you're just not doing it yet, this book will give you a, a good foundation as, as well as some, some practical how-tos. You also might want to order this book via the Amazon link below. If you're a person who kind of like me comes from a religious background, uh, that you ultimately kind of grew out of because of your rationality and strictly scientific view of the world, yet at the same time, you do know that there's some, some benefit in the spiritual life, this book will provide a, a guide of, of walking a middle path. A year ago, my New Year's resolution was to start meditating every day. And with the help of Coach.me and the Headspace app, I've accomplished that. Please check out my video on the Blue Sky Protocol. In that video, I outline four short-term benefits of meditation. This book was a little bit more about the long-term benefits of meditation, but yeah, if you need a little bit of motivation to get into meditation, to start spending the time to do it, I highly recommend you check out that video. So. Next time I find myself in a placid, lucid dream, I'm gonna ask that really hard question again. And we'll see what, what answer I get. I'll report back on that. This book ended with a really profound passage that I will leave you with. Indeed, the human mind is the most complex and subtle expression of reality we have thus far encountered. This should grant profundity to the humble project of noticing what it is like to be you in the present. However numerous your faults, something in you at this moment is pristine and only you can recognize it. This video series is going to present some cutting edge biohacking techniques and techniques.